Welcome back to the Act Two Podcast. Ooh, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And Josh is gaslighting me this morning. Um, as a reminder, <laughs> Act Two is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the many things we do. So thank you for joining us here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you'd rather DM us, we love your questions. They're really, really good. And I don't know. I think the emails, emails are my favorite part of this because I feel like it creates a lot of community to hear what people are actively going through right now and the questions that they're asking. I agree. I we actually have been yeah. getting a few good emails lately and I dive into them because uh, sometimes I'll just need anything else to do than write. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> procrastination tool for you if if you you get an email back from us and it's really long it's because we're procrastinating oh i've said i've fired off some long ones right now tasha and i are not in the same location but we're both dressed like we're in the midwest (laughs) sitting outdoors in like the middle of the winter i'm covered in a blanket (laughs) i've got a jacket on two jackets on i do have two jackets before we dive into things tasha yeah. I have to I have to recognize something. Okay. We recently celebrated your wedding ceremony. We did. And it was awesome. And I know Thanks. you don't like to talk about these things. Yeah. But listener, it was awesome. Yeah. The pizza was the best pizza I've ever had. The cookies <laughs> I had to throw away because I kept eating them. Oh, so good. The the bartender was a magician and also made drinks and they had like Floating bubbles and shit that would somehow make Float, it. You, floating bubbles, you'd catch the bubbles with your drink and they always tasted and smelled differently. And then did you see him levitate the cocktail mixer? You're goddamn right I did. Oh my gosh. And then and then it is a Harry Potter themed ceremony. There there was axe throwing. Yeah. Which I did not do. What? No, I don't sign release forms, so I didn't do it. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's just a life policy. <laughs> that's that's what I, I think. Dave signed one. He didn't even do it because he was waiting in line, and then he just came back. And we had a had a drink together. Oh man, it's so fun. I'm so bummed for you. It's really great. I saw where it was, and I I, I definitely would have thrown it over the mark. Like, <laughs> I would have hit one of the animals. Were you intimidated? Is that why you were embarrassed to miss? No, not at all. I would have done it. And and then Tasha gets up. She's like challenges everybody. Like there was like an open challenge before everything started. Right. She's like, "There's axe throwing, and I'm real competitive. So what?" And then she, <laughs> I did. I was like, "This is supposed to be this nice thank you all for coming moment." And I was like, "You guys better get your asses to axe throwing because you're all going down." <laughs> and, and so then, yeah, I saw video. I saw you axe throwing. You I were right on. The, you were right on the mark. Yeah, it's very empowering. Yeah, you were like a like foot away, but you were right fools. on the mark. <laughs> Excuse you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It was awesome. No, it was great. <laughs> so that's all. That's how I had to start this because Tasha doesn't like to talk about these things. So Yeah. Thanks. So I'm I will. so glad you had fun. Okay, well, the last thing about it. Okay. I said something there at the wedding, I mean. like I, I you, said, did, you said a lot of things, yeah. I, okay. And <laughs> I didn't know it, but I came out to Back to the Future music. Yeah. And I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. All it was right. great. On it was to the great. Podcast. I definitely told DJ Ross not to tell you what music you were coming out to because I wanted it to be a surprise. 
he was so helpful. I walked out. He was like rubbing my back like, okay, uh, are you ready? It's like, yeah, wait, what am I doing? And he's like, <laughs> like, it felt like I was doing something different because he was, he was like. Then he just pushes you out there. He's like, okay, this <laughs> no, is it. This great. is your moment. I was like, oh, thanks, DJ Ross. Paul came out to the Stone Cold Steve Austin theme. Yeah, you came out I to came Top out Gun. I to Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> uh, so basically what we're saying is everyone missed out. Yeah. Not very nice. <laughs> on to the but podcast. You didn't miss out on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Uh, what are we talking about today? I have a couple this week's in writing. Awesome. All right. I want to start with an article. Okay. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. George Lucas. Yeah. yeah. So it was really interesting because, and I actually feel like this article is going to kind of tie into a lot of themes. It'll all tie together at the very end of this entire podcast. Whoa, I love that. Uh, so years ago, I think it was like 10 years ago, Lucas and Spielberg, they, they did this interview at USC, and they were talking about the state of the film industry, and they were basically saying, they've predicted what has happened. Obviously, they didn't mm-hmm. know a pandemic was going to happen, but they predicted that it was going to be tentpole movies, Marvel movies, superheroes, uh, ticket prices are going to increase, and basically this smaller to lower budget movie like Lincoln is what he referenced at the time, wouldn't even be in a theater anymore. Like, it's just going to yeah. go away. And at the time, he, they said it. I think they were kind of, like, not fully accepting the streaming world. I might be mm-hmm. wrong about that. That's how it felt. But recently, he did an article, because he has a movie coming out called The Fablemans, which I'm going to mm-hmm. see. And he essentially has given in. Spielberg, he was like, I wish The Post was on your favorite movie, by the way. Like My favorite movie. The Post. Directed by a child. Sorry. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> that he was saying he wished The Post had maybe uh, gone on streaming because it probably would have done better. And I just... Interesting. Yeah. Cause I, and I just found this interesting because it's like the state of our industry and where we are. He's given into the dark side or... <sighs> I think he kind of dark has. Side? I mean, I miss movies. I do too, but what's the last movie you th- saw in a theater? It's a good question. Top Gun, probably? Probably. <laughs> Paul and Paul's family the third time. Top Gun three but times. But I miss like rom-coms being in theaters. Yeah. I miss just like, just all movies being there. And you just, it's more casual and you don't, it's just, it's, uh, there's so much pressure to see i don't know i don't yeah. know what i'm talking about i just no. miss the olden ways I, I i mean i definitely do too the other day i went to a theater to go see i went to a netflix theater by the way you love those i do to see enola holmes part two. Oh, i love the first one i can't wait to see yeah. the second one yeah i did too and i, I like did you the go with one. amelia i did yeah and nice. are you ready for what i'm about to tell you i don't know don't spoil anything there was a person in the theater playing a nintendo switch during the movie? During the fucking movie. And there was, the, the kids were just on their phones. And I was like, this, this okay, sucks. this, that's why we need This has been play. a problem for us when we go to watch movies. It's, it has honestly made us not want to go to the movie theater. Like yeah. you almost have to pick a very particular time when such people are not going to be in there. Mm-hmm. But almost every time we go to the movie theater now, there is a problem person at least one and that didn't used to be that way either no they're like people used to say things when people mm-hmm. would grab their cell phones but now it's just accepted which is scary because now that's kind of it's like the merger of how you are at home to a theater and 
I don't know. It's just, this just got me thinking because uh, whenever I read articles like this, I, of course, I think about like what to write and, and like if you're writing a spec, what the budget, this and that, all these things to keep in mind, where it's going to end up. And like the expectations of ending up in a theater are getting, you know, like the potential is getting smaller and smaller regularly. Mm-hmm. So that's all. Mm-hmm. A little piece of depressing news. Like, I feel like the future is going to be super interesting with VR and video games because. You can potentially now, let's say, release a movie on streaming in theaters or maybe just in the online. Like maybe you have to be in your VR to mm-hmm. see this movie. And let's say, let's say the movie ends with the beginning of a huge battle. And it doesn't actually show the battle, just the beginning of. And then the secondary experience you can have Let's say you went to the theater, saw this movie. It ends at the beginning of a battle. And then in a couple months, you can put your VR headset on and go into the battle itself in VR and mm-hmm. be a part of the fucking movie battle. It's pretty Like cool. this is something that's coming down yeah. the line. Yeah, it's crazy. We're yeah. living crazy times, Tasha. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Well, I'm depressed now. And me too. But let's, let's, let's bring it up a bit. Okay. There's a Twitter thread. Yeah. From Timothy Dowling. Yes. He wrote Role Models. <laughs> and I, he put up a thread because it was the 14-year anniversary of this movie. As I was saying this, I'm going to try to get Timothy on the podcast. I think that's a great idea. God damn it. Anyway, so he wrote this thread, which was, I love reading this. And I was saying to you right before we got on, I was like, I think I have a thought about Twitter. And so many people are leaving Twitter. Let's put a pin in Timothy. But his thread is the reason why screenwriting Twitter is so awesome, I think, yeah, is agree. because of this shit. Like, people write these experiences out, and and it, it allows for everybody to read it, and I, I think that's great. It's like a 20-post thread about how role models came about, mm-hmm. and we'll retweet it on our Twitter. Um, but it's great. It's definitely worth the read. We'll kind of summarize it here, but uh, definitely go in and read some of the details, because basically... Do you want to summarize or shall I? You know you're the best at summarizing. Oof. I'll try to remember the, the highlights. So he originally wrote, wrote role models to be a drama that he called Big Brother. And when someone became interested in it, they were like, this is great, but maybe it should be a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Which we always make fun of these kinds of comments, but... He was like, okay, well, let me try this idea because you're interested in the comedy version. So he wrote the comedy version and he wrote it kind of based on, he'd sort of heard about LARPing, sort of. Yeah. And he thought that that was a funny idea. So he pitched that and that kind of became the main thread of the movie. And they sold it to Universal, right? Mm -hmm. And Universal loved it, but Paul Rudd was attached to it. And they were like, eh, we don't really know who Paul Rudd is. Uh, He's kind of a nobody. It's not worth all the money we'd have to spend to make this movie if Paul Rudd is starring in it. Which, imagine that world. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like that world. So it was like back to the drawing board, right? And then, wait. They had, sorry. You should have done this. (laughs) Yeah, all right. I'm I'm going to jump in. Take over. Okay. So they got Sean William Scott and Paul Rudd as the two main characters, because they both were starting to pop up. 
Uh, Paul Rudd at that time, he was in Knocked Up. Sean William Scott was in American Pie. And oh, and so they both stayed attached the entire time when they went to Universal. But what Universal wanted to do is bring on bigger writers. So Universal ends up firing Timothy. They bring on bigger writers. And at the time, uh, Luke Greenfield, I believe it's Luke Greenfield, right? The director? Mm -hmm. Yes, he was attached and he was doing it. But as these things go, the writers basically messed up the script. So they end up rehiring Timothy to do it. And he comes back in, gives it the heart because it was his baby. He writes it. And then um, David Wayne from Wet Hot American Summer ends up coming in. Luke Greenfield leaves. And they all end up making this movie that was supposed to open at like $10 million, but ended up opening at like $20 million and became this monster hit. Mm -hmm. It's just a really great story because I just think it kind of highlights what happens in the in the writing process. And he even said it took him like two years to write the first script and then, mm. you know, went away and his baby was getting, you know, raised by some 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 wackos. And then he had yeah. to come back in and put the baby back on course. Yeah. It's so interesting because also at, at one of one of his comments was that like his agent had called him, I think, to be like, sorry, man, like this movie's not going to do well. Like prepare mm-hmm. yourself for disappointment. Yeah. And it was this huge movie. So, you know, nobody knows anything. Nobody <laughs> ever, knows anything. Ever, ever, ever. But it, it just, and it happens like, it sucks where you have a director on and then director leaves and you think that director's the thing that's going to get the, you know, the movie over the finish line. And and uh, it's yeah. it just highlights how crazy the freaking industry is. Yeah. Always, people just come and go. Yeah, it's completely unexpected. You can't prepare for anything. All you can do is do your best. All you can do is do your best. So that's all. Are we jumping in? I guess. That was I was also depressing. Even though it's like a good story. It's just No, it is. This business is so much work. It is. Oh, and before I forget, a quick update on my thing I've been talking about for the last oh, few weeks. Oh, yes, please. So just to rehash, I felt like I was being ghosted by a company and an exec. Yeah. I'm saying this around this time of the podcast, you know, hopefully they're not listening. I So I ended up getting my reps on it. And I was like, I talked to my manager. I was like, hey, man, could you please track this person down and just figure out what's going on? Like just with the project, I just wanted to know. And mm-hmm. the long story short is that basically everyone in the company is in different locations for different movies. Mm. Uh, the president is off with doing like a real big one. My exec that I've been talking to is doing her own movie. So the communication's been a little slow. So they say, I feel like mm-hmm. that's what they always say. It was basically that the director had the, the director who's attached to the project was going to come in and pitch some revisions, but they put that off until January for when everyone comes back. Oh, okay. So they all wanted to be there for it. And so they pushed it till everyone's back from their movies. Y- yes. And that director is in post on his own movie that okay. he's trying to get wrapped up. That's coming out somewhere soon so everyone is like busy basically okay that makes sense it did that's great that's all i wanted how hard was that's that all you wanted how fucking yeah. hard is that just say we're busy we're just busy with specifics and schedules and dates and times and i'm fine i'm just kidding but i just <laughs> i just that's it that's all i wanted no ghosting that's all no you ghosting. had to tell me yeah just communication man Communication is key. It's the foundation to every good relationship. Every good relationship. All right. On to the big topic because that was somewhat of a high note. Okay. So I found an article. 
The article was called Five Keys to Making Your Protagonist Likable. Yeah. And this thing's like 10 years old. But I thought we could talk about it and just kind of talk about <laughs> protagonists because yeah. the article's interesting. I feel like we could fill in some blanks and do a rewrite for this for the author. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a hotly debated topic is whether your protagonist should be likable or not. And it's something you will struggle with your entire career because executives will constantly give this note. Your character is not likable. Your hero is not likable. Yeah. And you have to understand what that means. And it means something different to everyone. And I think the general consensus from writers is that your character does not have to be likable. Yeah. That's not key to any movie or TV show is that your protagonist is likable. Meaning always does the right thing, is fun, funny, you love their lopsided, crooked smile, and they're just a hero. Like that's not, we rewrite anti-heroes all the time. They're not likable. But I think what we mean and what this article means and what executives mean when they say likable is someone you can relate to. You don't hate watching the movie because this character is in it. You enjoy watching the movie, even though this person is an asshole. Because yeah. there's something relatable to him being an asshole. Mm, I like that. Right? I, uh, As you were saying that, I, I remember there was just one moment I had in a script where a father and a daughter, this was an early draft of Father-Daughter Day, uh, the, the father was like eating at a restaurant and the daughter was going to meet him for the first time. Mm -hmm. And they just couldn't stand each other or like they just weren't on the same page and she went up to the restaurant and she looked in from outside and she stared at her father and the father was just kind of like sitting there eating by himself looking around waiting and then like she kind of drifted away and didn't want to go in but then came back the reason i bring this up is i kept getting the same note where it was mm -hmm. like you need to remove this moment and i liked i liked it but it ended up making the father look a little sad mm -hmm. and it made the girl look like a complete asshole mm -hmm. and I ended up having to remove it I still liked it for some reason I don't know that was just my one example that came out came off the top of my head of like relatability but I can understand yeah. it did kind of make her look like a dick yeah <laughs> yeah there's some there's a fine line right like if your character is a dick then I want to I want to still be on that ride with her yeah. And like understand why she's that way. I want to find her relatable. And I, I want to understand why when she looks at dad, she's so pissed off. And I think that's just a different scene because then you're, you're really leaning into, yeah, we should all not like dad because look at him. Yeah. He is so annoying so that you're kind of more on board with this person. But we've read, we read scripts all the time in writer's group where I kind of give this note of like, I don't like your your main character. And I hope that nobody in our group is like, oh no, I need to make this hero more heroic. But it's, it's more like there's so much of an asshole and I don't think you mean them to be that way. I think you mean them to have an attitude. Right. I think you mean them to be sarcastic, but I don't think you mean them for me to dislike them. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really key. Like you can't dislike your hero. I think of like Batman, for instance, like the latest Batman with what's his deuce in it? Robert Pattinson? Yeah. <laughs> Easy. Like, he's not an extremely likable Batman the way that Michael Keaton is likable. But I like him. I'm on this journey with him. I feel for him. 
This is interesting. Do you like him because you already know the Batman origin story? That you're definitely bringing baggage with you. Yeah. For sure. But yeah. there's moments where he's just so sad. He's so <laughs> you're sad. Like, oh, I totally, I like, you need a hug. And I get why you're doing this because you're so sad. Yeah. I, I once read where someone called him like gothic Bruce Wayne. 100%. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that makes all the sense. But I love yeah, that movie, by emo. the way. Emo Bruce Wayne. Emo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So this is a hot button topic. It's a hot button topic, so we're going to get into it, and we'll probably get angry on our way through this list, uh-huh. but uh, hopefully it will be enlightening to yeah. all of us. <sighs> okay, so again, five keys to making your protagonist likable, and these aren't like key points this person brings up. They're just, I guess they're, they're issues maybe this person was finding along the way. Yeah. Um, number one, there isn't enough between the lines, and... I think what they're trying to say basically is there's no nuance to the characters. Yeah. I think that this writer was finding that their character is very on the nose and mm-hmm. and it basically out pretty much exactly what you just said as to why you know, if 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 my daughter doesn't like the father, what what's that about? Why don't we like the father? In the dialogue there has to be some kind of like I guess yeah. nuance. Yeah, rather than her sitting down and being like, Dad, you're so annoying. Yes. Is there nuance to the moment that causes her to say that? Or maybe she doesn't say it. She's just frustrated and like excuses herself to go to the bathroom and just needs a minute standing over the sink to herself. Just like, you can do this. You can do this. So she's not blatantly saying, Dad, you're so annoying. But you can tell from the way she's reacting or the thing that he has done that she is annoyed and he is annoying. Yeah. That's a perfect, I love, I love moments like what you just explained about standing in front of a mirror. These like l- quiet moments by yourself. I feel like those are the most telling when it comes to making a mm-hmm. relatable protagonist, at least. That's probably why you like that moment. She was looking through the window. I like that moment too. Maybe the note behind the note was the scene wasn't doing what you hoped it was. Should them. I just write a script based around that moment? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, a little nuance to the character nuance. having those quiet moments to kind of express what the hell they're thinking and feeling. Yeah. And why they yeah. are the way they are. Exactly. Dude, we just crush that one. That was great. Easy. All right. <laughs> Number two, they're interpreting a hidden agenda. Now, this is a confusing one. I'm going to uh-huh. read a little bit of it. Let's say your latest screenplay is all about men saving women. The men are big and strong. The women are weak and helpless. At its core, that's 90% of superhero stories. However, those movies are based on pre-existing IPs. You, your work is entirely original. And although you may not intend to portray sexist stereotypes, you may be falling victim to them nonetheless. You'll never be able to please everybody with your screenplay, but you should have an understanding of current social trends. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Wow. Um, So don't inadvertently offend by taking the easy way out. Your story will thank you later. They're interpreting a hidden agenda. That's really interesting. I never would have associated that with a likable protagonist, but it certainly has an effect on your protagonist being likable or not. So yeah, this this one is just saying, take your agenda out of it. Or if you do have an agenda, which is men are big and strong and women are weak and helpless, mm-hmm. do it in a nuanced way. Go back to one <laughs> and find a nuanced way to get across your agenda. Because it, 
agenda is a really strong word, but I think as writers, we all have something to say. That's why we write. We have stories we want to tell with themes that are important and sort of like thesis statements that yeah. we, about the world that we want to get across in our stories. It's just that your protagonist shouldn't be the um, sort of soapbox for that thesis statement. The experience of the movie should get across what you're saying without your character having to say it or do it in a very overt way. So I think two and one are honestly the same. Nuance. Well, and you just hit on something. I feel like what this person may also have been saying is like the theme. Like this ties back into theme. If you have a mm. strong theme uh, and your character is leaning into that theme in every single scene... Because we know, you know, the theme is about failure and they're afraid of failure and, and every scene, you know, it's all, it's all of a sudden now it's, I mean, that doesn't have to be that intense, but I feel like uh, this person might be missing theme in their story. Yeah. Dang. I wish we were there when he, he wrote this article. <laughs> we'll have to have him on and ask him why he came up with these. <laughs> okay. Number three, your voice is mean. I'm going to just read this one. This is interesting. This takes us back to grade school, but I've read enough screenplays to stake this claim. Some people write mean. They have a cynical snark on the page that immediately subverts the reader to pass up that snark onto the story. While your lines of action should be concise, perhaps around 140 characters, your screenplay oh, so doesn't specific. need all. You doesn't need to read like a Twitter feed. Keep it neutral, ebbing and flowing with the tone of your story. I've definitely read screenplays where the voice was basically like you're a fucking moron to I the reader to. <laughs> it's like why 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 are you talking down to me or like why is your ego on this page that is typically with very very new green writers i think mm -hmm. who are maybe writing for the wrong reasons <laughs> i think well i um have you read screenplays like this i definitely have and yeah. i once I did it. I tried to do it as a joke. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes, I go on. I tried to do it as a joke, but I once, um, it was in one of my rom-coms and I was basically describing a ex-girlfriend yeah. of the main character. And I intentionally went on for like five sentences too long describing yeah. all of the flaws with this person. Oh no. Um, cause I thought it would read as like a joke, like, uh -huh. This, you know, so-and-so, she's stuck up. She's this, this. And it was basically, the joke was supposed to be like, I was taking out my own frustrations on yeah. Max. And it didn't land. I tried it, though. <laughs> I feel <laughs> I like I read it. this. I think you have, too. I think it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? But yes, I, I have definitely read scripts like this where the writer is uh, a little bitter. Again, I don't know how this has to do with making your protagonist likable i feel like this is just something this oh, yeah. journalist has noticed and doesn't want you to do which is which is fine it's totally fair huh but maybe i mean i feel like three is also a two then it's like don't let your main character your protagonist be a mouthpiece for you your character shouldn't be oh. that's also something i i read a lot is you can tell that the protagonist is simply a mouthpiece for the writer. Mm -hmm. Actually, you sent me a clip from <laughs> Reservoir Dogs recently <laughs> about uh, 
the hell's yeah. his name? Tarantino. Yeah, no, but the actor. Oh, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, Steve Buscemi going on a rant about how he doesn't like to give tips. And <laughs> and like you can tell that like Tarantino just feels this way. <laughs> because it's just so real yeah. in Steve Buscemi's mouth. And it's funny because you give that to a kind of side character and all the other characters hate him for it. But <laughs> that's an example of what we're talking about. So if you did this in your character, go back and see that scene, the tip scene from Reservoir Dogs. Um, if you do this, but it's your it's your protagonist and they're just talking like this all the time and none of the characters around them are noticing that this person's an asshole, then you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Because at least in that scene, what kind of makes it work is that everyone else is like, dude, no, these waitresses work really hard and this is a great job for them, for single women. And they're really like pushing back against him. But Tarantino is still allowing his opinion to be heard. Yeah. I freaking love that scene. Not to go off on a bit of it, but like I also, I actually, because that's the opening scene of the movie. And yeah. I feel like that act weirdly sets up the characters in such a great way. And it's these guys who are bad guys, essentially, but they're all like, tip the waitress and and it's it just sets them up as likable some of them and you you get a personality of a personality check out of all of them just based off Mm -hmm. of this one thing yeah so i guess it can work if you're tarantino just to like hammer this point again like i've definitely come into where you write yourself into a little bit of a hole where your hero does seem like an asshole Mm -hmm. just because they make choices that you don't agree with. And that's okay. Your your hero should and can make choices that you, the writer, and the audience don't agree with. But it's often very helpful to maintain sort of the likability of that hero. Mm-hmm. If the people around them, someone just says, dude, tip the waitress. Or dude, why'd you just close the door on that person in crutches? Like, <laughs> what, are you, what are you thinking? Yeah. Just to kind of call it out so that the audience knows and the reader of your script knows that you don't that you're not an asshole yeah <laughs> your your character is and that can be really helpful to mm-hmm. get through those moments that's great call attention to it call attention to it all right it. number four i'm sighing yeah preemptively great. you're gratuitous <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm reading it. This, this, okay. Remember, readers don't know you. They've never heard your inflections, nor do they understand your comedic rhythms. As such, you're tasked with doing the impossible. Make your tone crystal clear. Note that I didn't say crystal clean. Instead, mm. work on your rhetoric so the patterns of your comedy, dirty or otherwise, are understood and accepted from page one. Jarring insults outside of the tone you've established will derail the flow of the page. So this is actually an interesting one. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to wrap my mind around what the lesson really is here. So what he's saying is that if you're writing a rom-com and it's a sweet story and all of a sudden your male protagonist has a really raunchy sex joke, now I don't like him because that's not the world you've established. You've established that I think he's a romantic lead and I'm super into him and I can't wait for him to get together with this girl. And then you make him say something nasty like that. Mm, I don't like him anymore. So I guess it's keep, keep your, keep in in line with your tone is what he's saying in order to keep your, your protagonist likable. I don't know. Yeah. This kind of ties into 
number three seems like it does yeah there's some overlap for sure i can't really make sense of it i think you just did the best job yeah i think that's that's what it is it's very specific to i mean yeah i mean i think it's just also consistency that's what number four is make sure your characters are are consistent yeah um oftentimes writers will make a character do something just because it's fun yeah it's cool and they really want to see this in a scene which is great but if you've not established your character so that that makes sense for them you just really want to write it Mm -hmm. then that stands out and it makes your character unlikable because it just feels like I think it just mostly feels like they're not being real in the moment and an yeah. audience can tell they're smarter than you think they are and they can tell if a, a character wouldn't do that. And suddenly mm, I'm not as into that character because he no longer feels I'm no longer on that journey. Cause I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get why he's behaving that way. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Last one. Number five. Sure. This is great. Your character is just plain bad. Yeah. All right, so this says there's always a tipping point. Killing a dog is irreversible in the, on the likeness scale. Some actions in life are nearly unforgivable. If you choose to put your character through those paces, it may take a lot longer than 120 pages to redeem them. And then he goes on to say, decide before page one if that's something you're willing to tackle. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would argue that if you have an anti-hero, mm-hmm. and this is actually kind of happening right now. We've talked about this, like Dahmer... Yeah. Uh, Jason Voorhees, like these origin stories are are, are popping up. I, th- I think you just always have to humanize your character. If they decide to kill a dog, which I don't recommend doing in a script, there has to be some, some viable reason. Weirdly, a dog is the line <laughs> it is. for everyone. It is. Like I remember very distinctly, I wrote a character killing a dog because mm-hmm. they were evil. And my agents were like, you got to take this out, Tasha. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't send this out with the dog dying. I'm like, but the whole point is that you don't kill a dog, and this person did. That's why they're evil. They're like, yeah, but no one's ever going to make a movie where the dog is killed. Yeah. Except for John Wick. Except for John Wick. And that's probably that's why John Wick works. Yeah, that's, that's why, why it works. That's why it works. It's oh, so shocking. Shit. He killed We've a never dog. seen it on screen. He <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't let us until this moment. It is weird that dogs are the line. It's really crazy. I've also Not tried cats, to do cats, by the way. No one ever says you can't kill the cats. No. Everyone just knows those are <laughs> <laughs> wild animals that get you stuck in houses. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's interesting. I have a character I'm writing right now that at every step of the way we've struggled with, is this person likable? Or is the audience going to find him irredeemable? Mm-hmm. Because he does very terrible things. But I love this character. I think he's so sad and relatable and you just want to see him. You just want to see his life turn out okay and for the for good things to happen to him. So yeah. if I feel this way about him, then I know the audience will too. But the trick is to make them feel how I feel. So if this person does really terrible things, I need to couch that with him doing really kind things Mm -hmm. so maybe he's really cruel to the people at starbucks but when he comes home he's really kind to his dog his mother and his child but he's really cruel to them or maybe we see that the reason he does cruel things 
is because he was manipulated or something horrible happened to him and it comes from trauma and that's not his fault in some ways. He needs to get over it and, and, and redeem himself, but it's not that he's inherently evil. So these are things that we have to show and figure out how to show because these are very nuanced things. Yeah. But you have to do that work around your character if they do do terrible things. You shouldn't shy away from them doing terrible things, which I think is the problem with this idea of having a character who's likable, is you're like, oh, well, then I can't have them do terrible things. I think you can, and I think you can push the limits of what they do as long as you are countering that with helping the audience understand why they've done the terrible things. I agree. Relatability. It's everything. It's everything. I... I was I can't, I think it's in Stranger Things. I'm trying to think of a, an example, but with kids, yeah, or, or adults really, it always works when you see the kid be a bully, and then you see them go home, and then they get treated like shit by their parents, yeah. and you just know instantly, okay, that's why they are the way they are, and you feel yep. bad for them. Yep, that's why the save the cat model works. The idea that. Let's say your movie opens with a serial killer, mm-hmm. but then he saves a cat <laughs> from getting hit on the side of the road or from getting beaten by yeah. some kids. You're like, aww, yeah. he's a serial killer with a heart of gold. <laughs> like, <laughs> suddenly that just does something to you. And obviously save the cat doesn't literally mean they save a cat every time, though that does work. It does. <laughs> um, it, could just, it could be they... They've killed someone and the, the dead bodies in the back of the car. They go to a diner and then they tip the waitress who's having a rough time like $100 on a $5 bill. Yeah. Like, oh, huh. There's something hmm, something interesting there. Yeah. Save the cat should have been save, save the dog. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was just saying everyone loves dogs. Everyone loves dogs. Oh, what did a cat ever do to you? That's exactly the point. They've done nothing for me. <laughs> they serve no purpose. You know what? I actually like cats. I have, I, I've come around to cats. I'm just allergic to cats, so I have beef Oh, with I them. didn't know that. Yeah. I just thought you hated them for your own Grinch reasons. Uh, yeah, that too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway, we did it. We did it. I think that the key takeaway f- is just really hitting home the relatability. Yeah. And uh, I hope this article, the guy who wrote it is listening. <laughs> Do you? I <laughs> know. <laughs> I hope he's not. But if he is, we, it's a great article. I just, I feel like we just updated. No, it he hit on really great points. I just think it's just a, it's a difficult topic. And yeah. if you guys are struggling with this note, maybe you've got it from someone or you're a little worried that your protagonist is not likable, shoot us an email and let us know and we can maybe help talk it through on the podcast or... yeah. Or in an email. No longer on Twitter, I guess, but, uh, you know. Still still on Twitter for the time being. For the time being. All right. <laughs> Quote of the day. Quote of the day. The work that I'm proudest of is the work that I'm most afraid of. Steven Spielberg. I love it. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or at Tasha 3.0 on Twitter. I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by Four and Four Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.